This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to another edition of our Heartland 2018 coverage of the Obsessive Viewer podcast presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Uh, if it's your first time listening, uh, the Obsessive Viewer is a podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show. Uh, it's a movie and TV podcast. I forgot that part of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're presented by ObsessiveViewer.com, which is just the website that I started a, few, a handful of years ago. Um, yeah, so you can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, more of our podcasts at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts, and you can find our live event in Indianapolis at shocktoberinirvington.com, and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer, where we also have a Facebook group that you can join. And, uh, yeah, I think that about covers covers everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Tiny, you and I... Are, this is actually the second time in our podcasting careers that we've recorded in a car. It is. It's the yeah. Obsessive Viewer Mobile Edition. Right. Exactly. Yes. We're like field reporters. We are. It is. It is. It does feel like that. Or extremely poor people. That that is also true. We are actually <laughs> living out of out of my car. Uh, Paige Page kicked Tiny out. Pizza yeah. kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So. Oh man! Oh god! Anyway, I I just had a sudden thought that like because first of all, at the top of this, this is uh I think this is going to be episode three of our uh what's hopefully going to be a four part series about uh, Heartland twenty eighteen. Nice. Um. Yep. Uh, of course, Heartland Film Festival is Indianapolis's largest and longest running film festival. Um. They kind of have this um uh not motto or creed or they have this mantra mantra that's like they're they're uh, having they they bring out some of the more like moving pictures and like emotionally charged movies mm -hmm. uh, to the festival and every year they they put on a great festival and uh <laughs> most years i run out of pto that's so mm -hmm. um but yeah so uh, anyway this year is their 27th year you can find more information about heartland at heartlandfilm.org and, uh, yeah, special shout out to everyone at Heartland. Um, Greg, uh, I th believe his title is the director of film programming. Um, he always brings, like, it's amazing. Have you met Greg? I don't think I have. Oh, okay. Well, he's, he's a great guy. He, um, it's funny, or it's not funny, but it's, it's indicative of how, uh, how great, uh, the film festival is because I've been hitting the pavement doing, a lot of press junkets and, and red carpets and everything for the festival. And like, I, like one of my go-to questions is to ask the, ask the filmmakers, um, how do you feel about Heartland? You know? And like so many of them is like, Oh, Greg is great. <laughs> um, nice. cause like Greg like goes to different film festivals and he does a lot of networking and stuff and brings the films here. So he always, it, it's astonishing. So congrats to Greg for all of his success. And, nice. um, yeah, that's Greg Sorvik. And uh, also to uh, John and Emily from the uh, kind of marketing, I guess, or PR department um, uh, for putting together the press passes for us and everything. Yes, thank you for that. Yes. So, um, 
tiny. How uh, I've talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we noticed. Yes, I'm the kidding. film festival. Uh, you haven't had a chance to really check out much of it, right? I haven't. Yeah, me neither. As much as I've, uh, well, I've seen a lot, but I haven't seen a lot. If that makes sense, right? Um, but yeah, uh, do you want to give us a rundown of s- some stuff about Heartland? <laughs> Uh, like, I saw a movie tonight. Nice. Um, no, I saw, I, I really have, it's been pitiful this year, my participation mm-hmm. in the, the festival, but um, I saw a movie tonight, and um, there's, I'm hoping to see at least one or two more mm-hmm. um, in the theater and everything. Uh, one other one that I'm really interested in is, um, what was it called? Um, uh, the one about the... People who worked with the radium. Oh, radium work. girls. Radium girls. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, like that, that looks really good. I okay. So funny story. We uh, we actually covered this in episode two fifty two. Me mm. and Kirsten were like that's one of the movies that Kirsten's really excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the theater, or uh, uh, we were we planned on getting tickets on Saturday to see it. Uh, but the screening actually sold out. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, so well, that's a good problem. It really is. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we saw the bikes of wrath instead. But I'm really excited to see that one as well. I'm not going to mm. be able to see it during the festival either. Darn. Uh, yeah. So hopefully it gets uh, some distribution and like pops up on Netflix or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, those those are the the ones that have. That's really the one that stuck out for me that I really want to see. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Any there's others or anything. <sighs> No, I need to look through the brochure a little more mm-hmm. and uh, and really familiarize myself with the selection. But uh, sure, I yeah, I haven't had a chance to look through it very well, <laughs> very sure. well yet. So yeah, well, that's the thing. Okay, so Heartland is every year in October. It's <laughs> it always falls uh, pretty much pretty much the date that we have for Sharktober in Irvington every year is the essentially the opening night of. Heartland Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we've got that in the lead up to Har- uh, to to Heartland. We have Sharktober Nervington going on, and then, I mean, it's it's a ten day festival and everything, and uh, it's in October. And like I said, I kind of ran out of PTO at work, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love to have been able to take like two days off. I like I originally planned on taking the Monday and Friday of the festival off so I could mm. just spend the day at the theater but I, it didn't work out that way yeah this is also the same month as my what is my wedding anniversary right. is in October as well so yeah just a, it's a <laughs> huge month yeah oh yeah so, yeah yep uh yeah uh, so anyway so thank you for doing Sharktober and everything <laughs> no of course that was <laughs> yeah. fun as hell oh yeah we'll have a separate uh, 255 will be uh, Sharktober and Irvington, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, it's awesome because that was the weekend of your first year wedding anniversary. Not only did you, did you do Sharktober and Irvington and everything, but your wife Paige helped with the, the ticket sales and yes. stuff. Yes. So. Thankfully it was the weekend before our anniversary. Right, right. But still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was technically the weekend, the weekend of, right? No, because the Sharktober was the sixth, right? No, 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 no. This year. This year, yeah, this year was the twelfth. Oh, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Shit, yeah, that's right. I was, gonna I was say. thinking backwards. Yeah, yeah, I'm it so... was. October was the two nights before our <laughs> wedding anniversary. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you mixed up the date for October. No, we did not the date of your wedding anniversary. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Although it would have been weird to show up, you know, a right. week early to October. <laughs> right. 
Um, but yeah, so, and it's, it's funny because this year, cause, okay, so a peek behind the curtain last year, we didn't really do anything for Heartland, um, as far as coverage goes, because we had Shocktober in Irvington, even though it was a week, uh, a week before when we usually have it, um, a peek behind the curtain Shocktober in Irvington last year was a miracle, because <laughs> uh, mm. we had so many things just kind of go wrong at the last minute, and so I was supremely stressed out yeah um and then the week after that the week the first week of heartland film festival was your wedding weekend Mm -hmm. and uh yeah just by that time like i for one was just i was too exhausted to to really do anything with heartland so i kind of made a conscious effort this year to do as much as i can uh with the absence of pto Mm -hmm. um and i and i'm 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 very happy with the coverage that we've been been able to give. Nice. Yeah, and it's funny because um you've got, you know, wedding st- or like wedding anniversary stuff and like like this next weekend you you guys are going on a trip uh mm-hmm. coming up so you're not going to be able to do any of the the last couple days. Right. Of Heartland. And then I as I've said like four or five times so far ran out of PTO so I have to work my day job every day and then go to the theater like tomorrow i'm gonna see two films right after work um and uh and yeah and so and then this year was the first year that kirsten is kind of on board with the podcast and and doing the media thing yeah um and like she and i always go see movies but like and i was like yeah we we have these press passes we can go see movies and everything during the week whenever you want and then her show uh yellow heat that's opening november it's performing november 3rd um it, uh, they are in rehearsals monday through friday <laughs> oh, in the lead up to it so she's like she can't like weekends she's good but during the week she can't see anything so um so i'm proud with the coverage we've been able to provide given the circumstances of all three of the people that have press passes <laughs> no kidding <laughs> having such conflicting schedules but, yeah but yeah but i'm very happy that you and i were able to see a film today mm-hmm. and uh that we're we're going to be able to review it um before we do that though i do want to go ahead and uh throw it to the press um interviews and everything that i've done so um <laughs> Another peek behind the curtain. This episode is being re- this segment of the episode is being recorded uh, Thursday night. My days are all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Tiny. Thursday night. Um, Thursday night, October eighteenth. Yeah, yeah. Twenty eighteen. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I have at this point. Last last night I did a, a red carpet, and then um, I think Saturday before the awards party there's going to be another red carpet so essentially if all goes as planned this record this series of recordings you guys are going to hear is uh the red carpet interviews that i conducted throughout the uh tail end of of heartland film festival and so uh after we after after those recordings we'll get into a review of a film that we saw at heartland tonight uh the samuel project um, if you are wanting to skip the interviews or go, get right to the review, check out the show notes in this episode. It should be at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV253. 
um, or just the show notes section of your podcast app. And real quick before we go to the interviews, I just want to give a very, very grateful shout out to Tony Troxel of Geeking in Indiana and the Indiana Geeking Podcast for graciously loaning us his uh, Tascam DR40 recorder um, that I have kind of fallen in love with and I'm probably never going to give it back to him. <laughs> no, it is pretty nifty. It is amazing. And like, as, as we're sitting here recording, I'm thinking like my dream, like my, I don't know if I want to really say this, but like my dream, if I were, if I were independently wealthy and, and didn't have like, you know, obligations, I would go on like a cross country road trip and go to, um, as many like, independently run independently owned antique even like theaters and just like see a movie talk about it and interview the people that own the theater and kind of do like that kind of project that's like my dream project that's the dream man and this would be perfect for that it would be Um, so yeah so uh yeah someone give me like a million dollars um probably need more than a million dollars to do that you know i was thinking maybe not i could probably do it with like uh I would say maybe fifty thousand. Okay, maybe. <laughs> that's that's wow. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, here are the press recordings from a couple of red carpet events at Heartland uh, International Film Festival 2018 in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I'm here with uh, Kendall Goldberg and John Heater from When Jeff Tried to Save the World. And uh, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about the film and, uh, yeah, how your experience has been with Harland, as brief as it may be so far. Yes, very brief. We literally got here a few hours ago and are only here for, like, 24 hours. But um, it's been great so far. The film is about the manager of a bowling alley who um, tries to save it from going out of business. And John plays Jeff, the manager of that bowling alley. John wants to say anything about... It's about a guy named Jeff, and he tries to save a world. you got to figure out what that world is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a nice uh, coming-of-age story for a 40-year-old guy. No, uh, I mean a 30-year-old guy. Yeah. And in real life. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's, um, it's uh, just a nice story about a guy who is creating a family... In his own world and um, and trying to save this bowling alley. Yeah, I actually got a chance to see a screener of it last night. So um, yeah, so I, I really I really liked it. And uh, specifically, John, your performance it felt very kind of nuanced. Like there's a lot to the character with him having kind of anxiety and having some kind of uh interpersonal issues i would say um how did you get into the role for that like like did you have like a process to get into the performance uh i just um not per se i mean you know like i you work on everything we we did a short film first a year earlier so that kind of helped get already playing around with that character uh and then you know when we shot the feature uh, it really was, you know, those kind of things as an actor. You just kind of set yourself into that character. You figure out what would it be like. What it, it, for me, at least, it's easy once I get into a costume and I get on location and I've got dialogue and I've got act, you know, uh, other uh, co-actors to act opposite from other characters. Then it really helps me get into character. And it's, yeah. Nice. Well, well done. I really liked your performance and I really enjoyed the film. And uh, Kendall, is it... it Am I correct in saying this is your first feature? That's correct. Nice. Feature film debut, yeah. Nice. Well, um, congratulations. 
Uh, can you tell me about the experience of, of directing your first feature film? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was about five and a half years in the making. Uh, it's something that I started with the concept of just wanting to make a movie in a bowling alley, and it obviously snowballed and became a little bigger than that. Um, it was originally supposed to be shot in L.A., just because that's where I was at the time. I was going to school there. And then we, um, I went home for like a winter break, I think, in... Uh, at, to Chicago, cause I'm from Chicago, and, um, I found a bowling alley there that ended up being the perfect place, and we decided to make it there. So, you know, along the way, there were like a lot of obstacles to overcome to get the financing, to get the means that we needed to make the movie. One of those was what John mentioned, the short that we made, the short film version of the film. Um, and that was sort of like a great, guideline almost is like I got to work with a lot of the people who ended up being in the feature. Um, we worked in the same location, the same bowling alley, uh, a lot of the same crew. So it was kind of a nice, like, this is a little taste of what it's going to be like. And then the following summer we had what we needed to make the feature and that was it. Nice. And did the story or characters evolve in the transition from going from a short film to a feature? Like how did the writing work out for you? Definitely, yeah. We we were able to take the my writing partner Rachel Borgo and I took the short and watched it over and over and over and realized this works, this doesn't. So again, it was like a nice guideline of here's what's kind of here's what can be improved, you know, for the feature film version, and we can do this bigger and better. So we did take the feature then and did some rewrites after the short, and yeah, it was just I think it was just all about like how can we make this the best it can possibly be. Perfect. Well, the film is great, and I don't want to take up too much of your time because they're actually screening it right now. <laughs> I think you're, you're due for a Q&A. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for, for chatting with me. And where can people find uh, When Jeff Tried to Save the World online, like social media presence and everything? Yeah, so we're on social media at When Jeff Movie on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And then the movie will be out um, on you know all the platforms, and uh, iTunes included, uh, in December, early December, the first week of December. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you guys so much, and congratulations on the film, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm from the Obsess- Obsessive Viewer, and uh, would you mind introducing yourself? I'm Jay Curtis Miller, and I was the cinematographer for Palace. Oh, Palace. I just uh, I actually watched a screen of that yesterday. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like, how? Uh, what was the experience like making the film, and, and, uh, and what was the experience like? Um, well, we, uh, it was a small crew and it was just, uh, me and a bunch of college friends, so, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at it. Oh, no, no problem. Um, yeah, so, like, it was us and a bunch of college friends and we set out to make a little, like, low-budget movie and it was really exhausting. Like, I lost five pounds and I was eating, like, gr- I was eating, like, crap, but, so, like, just to tell you the physical toll that it took, but I, it... Obviously, it came out rewarding being here at Heartland. So that's fantastic. And uh, is this the first film festival you've been at for for the film? Or okay, great. How's your experience been? And uh, what was the experience like filming in Indiana? Um, well, I've been making shorts in Indiana for the past four or five years, uh, having attended Taylor University. So like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty like used to the locales and all that stuff. So like, I think the best way to like cinematically film Indiana is just to show it how to how it is. And that. That's what I feel like I've accomplished with Palace. So nice, and and the film kind of goes all over the state a little bit. There's there's some shots from Indianapolis and from from uh, Bloomington and everything. Uh, did you have any like uh, not troubles, but like how was it like kind of 
doing the cinematography for each each location? Um, we approached each scene as if it was one movie, so we never wanted to change the lighting at all or like just the composition. We wanted to keep it neutral throughout the whole film, um, just to connect every character. Even though we have three pretty different characters that live in all around Indiana, so yeah. Perfect. Well, um, yeah. Thank you so much for for chatting with me <laughs> and uh yeah congratulations on the film is there any social media presence for for palace or for for your work uh yeah you can follow me at my full name jay curtis miller on like instagram i'm on there and palace palace movie so yeah perfect well thank you so much and congratulations and uh best of luck with the rest of the festival and with the rest of the festival run for it and everything yeah thank you <laughs> yep, that's me. And uh, hi, how are you doing? And would you mind introducing yourself and telling us the film? Uh, my name is Joe Martin Ricky. Joe Martin Ricky, and I play the role of Chuck in the film uh, Palace, which premiered here Sunday, and we just had our second showing here this evening. Nice. Well, congratulations on the film. I actually got a chance to see it uh, yesterday in a the screener. And, uh, yeah, just first of all, congratulations and, and well done. Like, your performance is, is really great. Like, it kind of, there's there's a scene where you're first introduced or introducing yourself to the uh, to the college kids that I was just like. That's crazy. It's such a great scene. I, I loved it. Yeah. So, if you want me to yeah. talk about that, I will. Oh, yeah, go right ahead. Well, I saw, An- I saw one of Andrew's other films that I was not in, a short film he made about, and he said it in, like, 1959. And it was the, were, the kids were all kind of beat, like beat poets, Ginsburg, Kerouac, and stuff like that. And he had a monologue that was off the charts weird, where he just talked for three or four minutes. It was beautiful. It sort of made sense, but not exactly. And and then when I read this one, and oh, and when I saw that, I praised him. I I, I gave him all kinds of positive vibes about it. I said, I love that monologue. I just love it. You know. So then when he wrote this part. He gave me one of those, <laughs> one of those like, just sort of slightly disassociated, uh, uh, crazy, crazed, slightly drunk, you know, monologues. Yeah. How did you kind of acclimate to the role and everything? Because it, it's a, it's a, it's a well-drawn character. Is there's many different facets to the character, and how did you kind of juggle that through the performance? The uh, truth is that I uh, there's a lot of me in Chuck, so there's a lot of my life. I mean, I have two daughters. He has two daughters, although I'm not estranged from my two daughters. Uh, I'm divorced, and Chuck is probably divorced, and his wife has died. It's not clear of that. There's stuff we don't know. Uh, and I'm a singer-songwriter, and, uh, and I've had a heart attack. So there you go. A lot of the things. So, um, so there's that. Uh, but part of it too was obviously direction helps, and 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 in living with the part. And I just felt we shot my part really in a crunchy four or five days, uh, like it was just really packed together because we were. That was the way we we're making a film on a small budget, and I was working around my spring break, so I had to work. I'm a college prof. I had to work all spring break. Uh, and on this, and I was exhausted. And some of the scenes, I have these big bags on my eyes, and I think I'm not sure that was makeup. I think I was just a late night shoot, come back at eight the next morning and start shooting again. Like I think the death, the, the heart attack scene was uh, after a really, really, really long day of shooting. And the hospital scene was filmed on Good Friday, which we thought was really, really somehow fitting and emotional. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. And uh, can you speak to about, like filming in Indiana and everything? Because that's kind of a, a big thing. You know, the film scene in Indiana is is uh, it's growing, but there's not like any tax incentives or anything. Like, how do you feel about the production being in Indiana? Yeah, I mean, Indiana. You know, let me just start in a way that sounds silly. My brother and sister were here for the premiere on Sunday. They came from Texas. I love Texas. That's where I'm from. But they were just in awe. Of course, it's October, and it was clear. So we had a clear October, sunny fall day, 40 degree, you know, like Saturday, Sunday, whatever day it was. And we're just, they were in awe of the beauty. And I've lived here 20 years, uh, more than 20, and I think it's extremely beautiful. The seasons, I love the cornfields of gold. I love the, the stubble, which we're getting now. Uh, and and so in this film, as you know, you've seen it, lovingly uh, renders the Indiana landscape, the the cities to some degree, the towns some to some degree even run down and and broken down, but not but also beautiful old courthouses and the people and with all their warts and all their uh, uh, problems, but uh, so. Uh, I thought, and I was a little worried when when I read the first script, and I thought what we were doing here that was going to kind of be yet another, oh, these simple-minded Indiana Hoosiers, you know, but no, it wasn't that at all. No, It was a beautiful film uh, about Indiana, and I'd like to see more of it. Obviously, we have some great films set in Indiana, but I don't think they're filmed in Indiana. My daughter lives in Atlanta, where they film Stranger Things, which is set in Indiana. Uh, yeah. Which is set in Indiana, yep. <laughs> but they film it in Georgia. Oh yeah, that's she sometimes oh, yeah. has the cast come into her restaurant where she works. Yeah, nice. Well, that's that's great for her, but yeah, I wish. Yeah, uh, hopefully someday. Hopefully we'll get more. Yeah, yeah. And for those listening, Film Indiana is a great organization that's that's kind of going for that uh, and everything. And um, yeah, well, thank you so much for for chatting with me and congratulations on the film. Um, yeah, is there anything anything else coming up for? for the film or anything? Uh, I think just we have one more showing, and that's Saturday. And then I think it's going to open in Fort Lauderdale, which is where one one county film, which is the produce the ultimate you know uh, uh, producer, uh, is headquartered because that's where. Uh, well, anyway, there's a theatrical company down there that Andrew's been part of, and so I think that's going to be in December. And I think we'll be up in. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be up in Fort Wayne at Cinema Center, which is a beautiful. Indiana, uh, really holy place of film, uh, Cinema Center Fort Wayne, shows a lot of indie films. I think that's going to be in the new year. Uh, other than that, he's, he's just entering in a lot of festivals, and we're going to see what happens. Perfect. Well, yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Matt, for what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, no problem. My pleasure, and thank you, and have a great one. Hello, I'm from the Obsessor Group. I've already spoken to you. <laughs> doing well, yeah. How are you guys? We're doing great. So, again, I'm Julie Simone. I'm the director of Fiddlin' and one of the writers, along with my sister Vicki Vlasic, who's not here. And along with me... I'm Lynn Levy. I'm from Miami. I'm an assistant, uh, uh, an associate producer. Nice. And now, uh, so the episode where I interviewed you guys before uh, already went up. So if you wouldn't mind just telling just a, just a quick elevator pitch of the movie uh, here, and then, uh, then yeah, I can have some follow-up questions. Okay, yeah. So Fiddlin' is a film about generations passing the music down. Kids are walking around carrying instruments instead of phones. It's an uplifting movie. It's fun. It's inspiring. It's for all ages. At our screening yesterday, a grandmother and her granddaughter came up and said, 
we love this movie. I want my daughter to see it. The, the grandmother saying this about her daughter. and So it's a film for all ages. That's my elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, I'm sorry, it was Lynn Levy. Yes. Uh, can you tell me about your experience with, with, the, with the production and everything? Yes. Uh, I'm not from the film background, but I was lucky enough to be invited uh, to be part of this um, fiddling experience. And... Um, and it was extremely interesting for me to uh, sit in the editing bay and watch that process uh, together with um, being in the studio with the composer who did the score. And um, it, it was just astounding, the talent and the work that went into doing something like this. So I have a, a whole new respect for filmmakers and uh, the whole process. Nice. That's fantastic. And and does it? Do you think you you're gonna go into more filmmaking stuff, or was this like? A- so I hope so. I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself after this. <laughs> it's very exciting. Oh, I can only imagine, and uh, especially a film as uplifting and and just with such a, a kindness to it as, as this one. It's it's got to be so rewarding, even more so. Um, all the hard work, I'm sure, pays off really well. Um, so how's your experience been with Heartland since we last spoke? Yeah. It just keeps getting better. I mean, I just can't believe the generosity of the people here. The staff is amazing. The volunteers are incredible. We've made really great friends just driving around with some of the volunteers, and we get to meet people like you. And so, I mean, that doesn't hurt. I mean, it's it's really a, a great time and one of the best festivals that we've been to. That is fantastic. And where can people find Fiddlin' on, online? Any social media presence or anything? Um, yes, we're uh, fiddlinmovie.com, and you can go to our Facebook page, Fiddlin, and uh, I, we have some. And Instagram, it, Fiddlin. So. And there are some festivals coming up that, um, if people are in that area, um, try to come by and see it. It's so worth it. It's a yeah. beautiful film. Yeah, if you miss it in Heartland, just check us out. Awesome. Well, congratulations once again. It's been a pleasure speaking to you again and, and pleasure meeting you. And uh, hope you guys have the best of luck going forward. And uh, congratulations once again. Thanks, Matt. It was great seeing you again. Great seeing you too. Hello, my name is Matt from The Obsessive Viewer. Uh, how, how are you doing? Could you introduce yourself and tell us about your film? Yeah, so my name is Nathan Pfaff, and I'm the director and producer for the feature documentary Film School Africa. Nice. That's one of the ones that I was looking forward to checking out. I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Um, it looks like a very engaging documentary. Can you tell us a little bit about the about the subject and, and, and the film? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, the documentary is about a friend of mine that started a film school in the Cape Town area of South Africa. And she kind of is teaching uh, youth from more underprivileged areas, film skills, originally intended to give them employment opportunities. But she found out that in doing the projects, the students actually uh, were kind of doing a form of art therapy. And, it, and the projects were a way for them to process through events from their lives. Yeah, so it's really phenomenal. Nice. It looks like a very just inspirational documentary, really. Uh, can you? Uh, what was the experience like creating it, and uh, like how much film did you have? Like how much? How much material? And, and where did you? When you set out to do it, did you have like kind of the narrative in mind, or did it kind of come together as the project evolved? 
Yeah, well, those are quite a, quite a few different questions, know, yeah. so I'll try, I'll try to remember to answer them all. Um, so I went and I filmed for about three months, one of the school terms for the students, and it was just by myself, and I just filmed it on my Canon DSLR and my phone and a GoPro, and that's basically it. So uh, that goes to show you that story is really the most important thing, and right. all the technical aspects can cut, you know, fall behind that. Um, but... I forget the next question. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, how much like footage did you have, and then did the story kind of come together in the editing? Yeah, so I ended up shooting, again, I shot for three months, but because it was just me, like, single camera, I think I had about, like, two terabytes of footage uh, to work with. And um, um, I don't know how many hours that is. Sure. But, um, but I knew that I could go and kind of touch on Katie's story specifically in, in starting this film school and then also the um, art therapy side of things. What I didn't know was the students because I hadn't met them yet. So my film actually follows four main students and kind of their, uh, their transformation through one of these school terms. And I didn't know how that would unfold because I hadn't met them at the time. But I knew that regardless when I went, I could touch on a few core themes um, so I knew those going in, but yeah. And what's the experience like taking the film to, to film festivals? Is this the first one? Has it had a festival run? Uh, and how's the experience been with Heartland? I know that's another like multiple questions, but uh, yeah, how's the festival circuit been? Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, so Heartland is actually our seventh, and we have one last one coming up in February. But um, Heartland's been amazing. It's been super well-organized, and everybody's been very friendly and accommodating. And um, I love Heartland's mission of just, like, um, positive, uplifting films, because that's kind of my audience as well. So I'm super honored and grateful to be here, because I think kind of those visions align. Um, but, yeah, I would recommend Heartland to anybody. So Perfect. Well, that's great. And congratulations on the film. And uh, what's the web festivals again? be at in February? Uh, it's in Rhode Island at the Providence Children's Film Festival. It's the last one. Perfect. Well, congratulations once again. Where can people find your work and, and the film, uh, like social media presence and everything? Yeah, so um, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. FSA Doc is the handle, but then there's also the filmschoolafrica.org website that they can find out more about the film school itself and then they also have a documentary tab for the film to kind of follow what happens with the film. So Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and congratulations and best of luck going forward. Thank you. Hello. I'm Matt from the Obsessive Theater Podcast. How are you doing? Nice to be with you this evening. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So, yeah, can you can you tell me about... Uh, the story of my life, and it's called, the film is called Live the Stream. And uh, it's about, uh, they followed me uh, through from childhood through my present time. I was 89 years old. And so uh, I've had a, a, a very busy uh, life. Uh, uh, I was the instructor at Penn State University or the professor uh, uh, for the angling fly fishing program at Penn State University. I was also an assistant wrestling coach. Uh, I wrestled for Penn State many years ago. Uh, and uh, I have a lot of blue and white in my blood. But anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow uh, uh, this is about uh, my drive to, uh, to promote this great sport, but also relative to the environment and I'm working hard to save streams and, and make people aware of our environment. Uh, I work with uh, the wounded veterans and in and, and many aspects. And so uh, this is all within this film, and uh, it's a pretty nice trip. Yes. <laughs> nice. That's great. Now, um, 
Is this your first time at Heartland Film Festival, or have you been on the festival circuit with the film? I have uh, been with the Indianapolis Fly Fishers uh, here 20 years ago. Uh, I also did a fly fishing show here a few years ago out in the, what do they call it, the, the out of town with the, what is it, the, the I, I don't know what they call it out of town, but that's where they held the event anyhow. So, so but anyhow, I've, I've, I've been in, in and out of Indianapolis different times, yeah. That's fantastic. And, uh. How did you? How did you feel? Like it was it kind of strange having a having a movie like created about you and then what you do? Or yeah, says it was very exciting, and I and I was so honored that they chose me as their subject, and uh, it's it's been a, a great trip. I've had a, a, a lot of experience in this game. I've been with the United States uh, Fly Fishing World Championship team in Finland and Wales and uh, Ireland and Italy and. Uh, two years ago in Portugal, so and in, in, in Portugal we took the the uh, bronze medal. So, yeah, so we're I, I've had I've been there, I've done that, and so uh, uh, and I'm working with the U.S. youth team uh, to getting them ready for the World Championships too. So yeah, so it's it's been a great run. Nice. Well, that's fantastic, and congratulations, and uh, best of luck going forward. Uh, again, that that film is called Live the Stream. And, uh, yeah, it's playing here at Heartland. Thank you so much for your time, and hope you have a great rest of the festival. Thank you. <laughs> okay, hello. And you guys are from Live the Stream as well? Yeah. Uh, okay, perfect. And would you mind introducing yourselves? Sure, I'm Megan Bell. Lucas Bell. Well, nice to meet you guys. And can you tell me about the process of making this film and then your experience with Heartland? Have you ever been here before? Or? Yeah, this is our first time. Yeah, this is our first time at Heartland. Uh, we we shot Live the Stream over three years with Joe Humphreys. Um, and we literally just finished it, what, maybe a year ago after edit. But it's been a long process and we're glad to be here. Very nice, and uh, and uh, I haven't I haven't had a chance to see the film yet, but Joe seems like a, a very lovely guy, and it's I mean, filming it over the course of a few years, he seems like a very animated person. So that must have been a lot of footage to kind of sift through and create and create a documentary from. Can you speak to that experience and and uh, the process of making the film? Yeah, definitely. We had how many terabytes of footage? Like twenty six terabytes. Twenty six terabytes of footage. Oh, wow. yeah. So, because when you start filming with Joe, we thought that we would film for maybe six months, and then it turned into three years because he was always thinking of new, new things to do, new places to go fish. Always going somewhere. He always has some clinic to teach, or he's always volunteering somewhere, or flying internationally for uh, fly fishing competitions and I mean he just keeps going and going at his age so and you forget really quickly that he's almost 90 years old I, he said and I kind of did a double take when he said his age I was like he looks amazing it's it's incredible like I hope I have that much energy when I'm his age yeah. oh yeah yeah um, what attracted you to to him as a subject for for the film and how did the how did the project come about well, yeah, I, I met Joe when I was in college. I actually was doing, I did a student documentary about the angling program at Penn State. He was a teacher there. Um, and I met him, you know, whatever, in 2002. And then 10 years later, we were at a fly fishing show, and I ran into him again, and I told him that my wife and I have a production company, and we were 
we, you know, we wanted to do a documentary, and we wanted him to be the subject. So he was all obviously super excited about it, and we started filming that that, that following spring, and and now we're here, which is awesome. That's fantastic. And how has it been? Has uh, what is this on the what is Heartland on the stop of the festival run and everything? Has it been to other festivals? Do you have any coming up? Yeah, so we've been at Breckenridge, uh, Chagrin, and now here. So after Heartland, we are heading to Reading Film Festival, and then... Yeah, there's a couple other ones we're still waiting to hear back on, but this is, you know, we're probably getting near the end of it, but it's been awesome, and this one has been fantastic, so it's a good, it's a good one to go out on. And then we'll be heading back to Pennsylvania for Reading, which is his home state, and there's a lot of people in Pennsylvania that want to see his documentary, so it's, it should be a good crowd there, too, so... But, it's been great. Yeah, and we have we have one more screening tomorrow at AMC Castle at uh, Traders Traders Point at, th- at three o'clock. So, but uh, yeah, it's been awesome. So perfect. And uh, what was the name of the production company? And where like what's where can we find your guys' work? Yeah, sure. So our company is called Nomadic Studio, and we're based out of the DC area. Yeah. So. Um, you can see our work. I mean, we work in TV, so most of our work is all, uh, you know, a lot of spots animation, and animation, yeah. design and stuff. So this is our first independent doc, and uh, so it's a lot of a lot of hard work, but it, yeah. it's, you know, it's been well worth it. So nice. Well, congratulations. That's that's fantastic, and I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of the festival and rest of the run, and best of luck going forward. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, I'm Matt from the Obsessive Bureau Podcast, or a podcast based out of Indianapolis. Yep, and uh, let's see, your name is Josh Reedford and David McCracken from Bullock County. I actually saw the film uh, Saturday, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really great. Um, and I'm very excited to talk to you guys, um, especially being from Indianapolis and knowing that you guys filmed it in Indiana, um, and it has ties to Indiana. Can you tell me about kind of the, the process of making it also... Uh, introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about the film as well. Uh, I'm David McCracken. I'm the writer, director, actor of Bull County. And I'm Josh Reedford. I'm the producer. Uh, I can tackle what the movie's about. Uh, it's a uh, it's an action thriller that's set in the 1970s about four friends that uh, get together after 10 years for a bachelor party on the uh, the Bluegrass Bourbon Trail in Kentucky, and their plan is to go visit a bunch of bourbon distilleries. And things kind of take a turn when they hear about this legend of buried prohibition money that's buried somewhere out in Bullet County, Kentucky, and they go off in search of it and start to turn against each other, and you know, kind of all hell breaks loose. As is the what happens when they're there's bear treasure and greed involved in that kind of thing. Right, absolutely. And uh, one of the things that kind of struck me about it was that it, it it takes it takes some very interesting turns and it goes down some very dark paths. And I thought that just in the general style of it, the, the uh, directing and everything was very... It really went into... It, you guys really went for it. <laughs> as far as the darkness, and like there are shots where where character is having like kind of a little bit of a mental like break that it's it's very like the production value is really great. So I I guess I don't really have a question for that. Just congratulations. That was that was awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, can you tell me about you know just filming the filming the movie and uh, a little, yeah about the production? Uh, well, it was about thirty days, uh, twenty six on, four off. And uh, we were everybody was doing multiple jobs all at once and working really hard. It was a passion project for almost every, basically everybody, almost every department head. It was their first feature, 
as that department head. And so it was a labor of love for a lot of people. So when somebody loves something that they want to, that, that they're making, they'll work way harder on it than just for a paycheck, which nobody, nobody got much of on this one. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was just really, uh, sleepless nights. It was cold weather. It was dark woods in the middle of the night. It was all the things you don't want to film in and everybody just kind of stepped up and worked hard and it's all visible on screen. Nice. And one thing that kind of struck me about it is with, with like independent films like this, you, it it seems like uh, it seems a little bit like adding more uh, adding more challenges to it by making it a period piece. Did you have any like uh, what was the was it a conscious effort to make it a period piece? And uh, again, I just I don't really have a question other than that. Just that it looked it looked really good and felt very authentic to the time. Um, I would say for 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 our part, um, the period piece stuff was actually easier. It seems like it's harder, but what it does is actually gets it frees you of cell phones, it frees you of technology, of brand names, and so you're more able to make up brand names that people will just buy into because they're so old. Maybe they'd never heard of it before or something like that. And so uh, wardrobe is not a problem. It's more about just everybody, all the departments being conscious of of the period. And whenever you're shooting, making sure that, say, there's not a thermostat in the corner or something. So a lot of it was about subtraction. But um, I would say the period piece didn't really add much to the budget at all. If anything, it probably made it a little cheaper because we didn't have to deal with cell phones and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. And uh, and you guys filmed it. It was filmed in Indiana, correct? And uh, can you speak to about just the experience of filming in Indiana. Are you guys from Indiana? I think I read the from Evansville. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you speak to the experience of filming in Indiana? And uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. It. I mean, we wanted to set it in Indiana because, again, we are, we're from Evansville and, and part of it was we just are familiar with the area. So we were kind of writing it knowing the places that we could shoot uh and I, I, there is kind of that mantra especially in independent film which is right to what you know you have and so we knew uh like setting in the small town of of new harmony we knew that like again the period piece it fit because it just looks like it could be in the 70s um you know we knew that we wanted to use a, a farmhouse and so we knew where that was we knew we wanted to shoot in the woods like those are very easy to find so everything was kind of very intentional because we knew the the resources that we had um, and then you know, as we were saying earlier it was very much a, a labor of love with people it was everyone in the community kind of came together to, to make the film happen and uh, yeah I mean it's just there was there was a lot of, uh, of positivities to, to shooting here and uh, you know, again, like David said, it was everyone that we brought in from California to work on it. Were everyone was really into the project, uh, regardless of how big or small their paycheck may have been. Uh, but what was great about it is like it became kind of a family to where I mean, literally everyone on the cast and crew were sleeping at our parents' houses that were like the houses that we grew up in. So I mean, it, it really. I don't think we could make another movie like this ever again, but for you know, for the time and place, it it absolutely worked. That's fantastic. And and uh, David, with with the performance and actually performing in the film as well as writing and directing it, and wearing so many different hats, did you uh, like? How did you balance that with the overall production? 
Uh, just a lot of preparation, just a lot of planning, making sure that all the actors um, could rehearse and had time to rehearse so that on the day of production we just all were on the same page and I could just basically treat everybody like machines and just say louder, softer, you know, more intense, you know, and so... Um, it was, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of planning with the director of photography, the sound guy, the costume. Just everybody was on the same page. So we did so much preparation so that whenever I was being pulled in a lot of different directions during the making of it, it was I would never feel like um, it, I was being spread too thin and compromising any of those jobs because everybody else was always very willing to step in and keep an eye on things uh, of their specific department and it, it had all been researched before and prepared and yeah nice and which was your favorite hat to wear for it? directing writing acting how did you which one was your favorite part of it, the process uh, i hate to say it but they're, they're all different i i, I mean i i would say uh it feels like because writing is so alone and uh, and directing is so involved with everybody and acting feels somewhere in between and um, I would say that uh, directing is the most nerve-wracking because you don't you know you have a lot of problems that are thrown at you very quickly and you're also dealing with a lot of elements writing I think is the hardest because it is so insular and I think acting is the easiest for me um, and but it, it it does have its different challenges it's more about like just hoping that you've cast everything very well so that the other actors know where you're at you know where they're at and then you could you know so honestly the hardest part about that was memorizing the lines which was always last minute but <laughs> Nice. And I have, I've got to ask, Bullet County, is is it named after the Stephen Queen movie, or is that just named after the, you know, the, I think there's a county in, like, Kentucky. The actual yeah. county. Okay. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. All right. Well, where can people find your you guys online and, and the film online, or the social media presence? Well, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, it's at Mr. Pictures Film. Uh, that's, our, that's our production company. And, uh, you know, you can catch the film, obviously, here at Heartland Film Festival, or uh, it, it uh, opens in theaters um, on October 26th in uh, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. Houston, Phoenix, Louisville, Cincinnati, and Evansville. Um, and then uh, after that, it'll be on VOD and DVD in February. Perfect. Well, congratulations, guys, on the film. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed it, and it definitely goes to some very interesting and dark places that I was not prepared for, and it's it's going to kind of stick with me for a while. So congratulations, and uh, best of luck with, with everything going forward. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Matt from the Obsessive Era. I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, no problem. So you're Autumn uh, McAlpin, writer, director, producer for Miss Arizona. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about the film and uh, your experience with Heartland so far? Yes, absolutely. I'm very excited to be here. Miss Arizona is a feature film that follows a former pageant queen on an all-night adventure with four women she meets at a women's shelter. So it's an uplifting story about women coming together, overcoming abuse in various forms. And so we're very excited to be here. I know Heartland's all about films that tell real stories and that make you feel good. I've actually had a film here before, three years ago. and I, It was uh, Waffle Street. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, uh, from Ian and Nesham Nelms. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we, we were able to bring James Lafferty, our star, here three years ago. And I have such good memories of this place. Everyone is so nice here. I love Greg. It's great to work with him again. And um, I was really excited to come back. 
Awesome. Well, that's great. And I'm really excited because Miss Arizona is one of the films that I'm going to be seeing, I think, Friday. I'm going to see it. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, what was the experience like like creating it? Where did the inspiration come? And uh, how was the production? So um, it was inspired by an experience I had volunteering at a women's shelter. I went in and was asked to teach a life skills class and thought I knew a lot about how to survive the real world. And I went in and realized that these women who'd really been through some really hard situations knew a lot more about the real world than I did. And so um, I learned a lot. And these women stayed with me. Um, they're real people, but they also are characters that I thought could we could broaden their stories and tell them to others. So many women are affected by um, domestic violence. You know, one in four women experiences it directly. And so many women um, choose to stay in violent situations because of fear of losing their children or their security. And so our film touches on those tough t- topics, but it also is a comedy. I feel like, you know, we laugh through our pain and, and um, it, it naturally became a comedy because my actors were so talented and they were willing to go there to really like make you feel the feels, but also like have some fun. So that's great. And it, it seemed, sounds like the subject matter is it's very important obviously especially like in our current like cultural climate and everything so it's I, I just commend you for making the film because it's it's great to kind of have that voice out there um, what would you say were the kind of main themes and, and things that you wanted to communicate in the film well I actually wrote the film in the fall of November um, it was November 2016 during the election and the women were being portrayed so negatively on on, on media and online and, and I was really kind of upset by some of the things I saw and um, there was a song that became the unofficial song of the Women's March it's called Quiet and it's about that if you've been injured or abused not to be quiet to speak out and it's by an artist named Milk and I wrote this film in three weeks I wrote it very fast and that song was like the soundtrack playing when I wrote that film it gave me the courage to speak out for these women that I had met and um, I was so excited when the artist agreed to let us have the song in our film and um, and so we our film um, is very music driven actually we have an amazing soundtrack in fact, this is exciting. Our um, score was nominated yesterday as one of the top five scores for Hollywood um, Music and Media Awards. So we're super excited about that. But I think we have really, thank you so much. We have really good music. And so we have songs like we have the song Team by Lord, which is all about being a team and girlfriends coming together and supporting each other. And so a lot of our um, themes are represented through the music. But one of them is about not being quiet, speaking out when you've been abused. Nice. Well, that's fantastic, and congratulations on everything. Where um, is it playing in any other festivals, or, or like where is it headed? Okay, so we we started our festival run in May. We um, were the Bentonville Film Fest, which is perfect for this. It was Gina Davis's female driven fest, and I was so excited. We won the audience award there, and it started out with a bang. And then we were in several festivals over the summer. This month is um, actually National Domestic um, Violence Awareness Month, so it was important to us to do a lot of festivals this month. So we have. After this one, I'm headed to Naples next week, Naples, Florida, for their fest. Then we're in um, Rome, Georgia. We're in um, Kukaloris in North, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And then we're in uh, Anchorage, Alaska and Coronado Island. So, yes, we have several festivals ahead. That's fantastic. And was this your first film that you that you made? This is the first film I directed that was a feature. I've um, written other films that have been made. Um, I produced films and I've directed short films. But this is my feature directorial debut. That's amazing. Congratulations on that as well. And uh, what was the experience like going from going from doing all that to 
diving into a feature film? Well, it was challenging in, in the sense that this, like a true indie, had, we had very little money. So it was all hands on deck all the time. So as it is with any director, you're hardly sleeping. You're slugging water bottles. You're running, t- doing craft service runs in the middle of the night while you're rewriting scripts. It was hectic, of course. We shot in 14 days in Burbank. And it was a tough shoot, actually. It was during the Burbank fires, 114 degree temperatures. We had ash raining on our set. We were shooting in non-air conditioned buildings. It was tough. But my wonderful ta- cast um, all said that it lent to their experience because they felt like the characters they were portraying wouldn't be comfortable. They, they didn't have it made. And they liked feeling that level of discomfort as we were shooting. So that's Well, that's, that's such a good way to spend that because it sounds like it, it would have been kind of a little trying but yeah very challenging yeah. <laughs> that's great and uh what well, like what's next for you do you have any other projects lined up or anything yeah i'm currently writing a tv pilot that's um hopefully going to be shot in the uk so i'm actually headed back there in a month to um scout and then i have a couple other features that are in various stages of development the scripts are done and they're out some are getting financing some are getting attachments so i have a few things on uh, you know down the line that i'm excited to get nice well congratulations and uh where can people find like your social media presence absolutely so we're um, our website has all of our listings of screenings tickets it's missarizonamovie.com and then hashtag missazmovie perfect well i can't wait to see the film and congratulations once again on everything and uh best of luck going forward yeah no problem yeah thank you thank you hi yeah uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you guys were going to remember me because I'm sure that you guys have so much going on and everything. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so since I've already interviewed you guys, um, why don't you go ahead and uh, just tell us about the film again, and uh, then I'll have some follow-up questions. All right. It's, uh, th- the film's called A Thousand Miles Behind. It's about a, a man struggling through grief. He takes a solo motorcycle trip across California, and he tries to figure some things out. Great. And, uh, and so uh, one question I wanted to ask, and I, I kind of forgot to ask at the press junket, was uh, what are some of your guys' influences as far as, as, far as uh, filmmaking goes? And like what, while making your first film, like how did you, like what projects or, or filmmakers did you think have in mind as like inspirations for you to successfully complete this one? Anyone who's ever completed a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At first, definitely. He yeah. definitely had his people that really inspired him. that really inspired me. I'd say Kenny Lonergan. I look at movies that really changed my life. You Can Count on Me. Uh, that, that kind of storytelling has always really interested me and like tugged at my heartstrings. And so when it came time to approach writing a script, I really kind of went for that. Just to be as honest as you can, to be as sincere as you can. I'm not trying to pull fancy tricks. It's just like just to communicate a heartfelt story um, and do it as best as, as best as I can, you know. But that caliber of writing is what I, I was aspiring to, what I always aspire to. Nice. Well, that's I, that's as great an answer as any, like, especially Kenny Lonergan. I mean, he's, he definitely has that tapped in for, for emo, emotive responses and everything. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think of what, what all I've asked you guys already. <laughs> I know we just talked, yeah. Um, so, are you guys looking forward to the rest of the festival? And ha- how has your experience been since last we spoke? Experience has been amazing. We've had we just had our second screening today. We screen tomorrow, and then we're going to be headed out tomorrow. Vanessa's headed out tomorrow morning, uh, and then I'll be heading out. I think on Friday to get back to LA and get back to business. But it's this has been a magical experience. We've loved being here. Yeah. 
couple other films and meet some other filmmakers, and everyone's just so lovely here. So it's been a really good time. That's great. And uh, and where can people find like your social media presence and and everything? Uh, Lem- at Lemoyne Street P on Twitter uh, and Lemoyne Street Pictures on Instagram, uh, and there's the Lemoyne Street Pictures page on Facebook. You can find all those. Heartland has been following us and posting and retweeting. Um, so yeah, we're pretty easy to find. Perfect. Well, once again, congratulations on the film, you guys, and uh, best of luck with with everything going forward. It's um, hopefully we get to chat again sometime. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Great to see you guys too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. So I've I've spoken to to uh, I've, I've spoken about the film. <laughs> Uh, a thousand miles behind, and you were the stuntman. Can you introduce yourself and tell me about your association with the film? Yeah, my name is Benjamin Forster. Uh, I'm a good friend of Nathan, the filmmaker, and the crew was such a skeleton crew on this movie that there was Nathan, the director, and then there was Jeffrey, the actor. There was the camera guy, Keith, and then Stan, who's standing right beside me, was the sound guy. So it's four people. For most of the time, that was it, and then I was the fifth, and so I was doing. I was just the guy that they told to get, go get everything, and go get the lenses, and get this out of the van, and run around, and I would do the the sticks, uh, and um, and I also ride motorcycles, and so well, the motorcycle is such a big part of the film, uh, and Jeffrey would do these really long days of riding of just shooting and riding and riding and so at the end of the day the motorcycle would need to be transported and I would be the guy to get on it at the end of the day and drive to the next location which I was totally fine with because I love motorcycles so yeah nice so so what you're saying is there was no like second unit or anything on this one no (laughs) two weeks you get up at five in the morning it's all natural light Uh, we had two we had two lights um, two artificial lights. I can't tell you what they're called. That's not my forte. Uh, but you know, for people, you do a podcast. Yeah. Oh, I should. My name is Matt. I'm from the Obsessive. But like for people who make movies, like you can. T- we made it. We just watched this movie on the big screen. It's a real movie, so to speak. And you know, we shot it in two weeks with two lights and a camera, and you can do it. Yeah, and that's got to be such a surreal feeling, and it's got to be so rewarding to see like your work showcased like that. And it's that's amazing, especially with such a small crew. And it, from the sound of it, you guys are very tight knit and everything. And it's kind of impressive that like, for such a small crew, like it's, I mean, it's it's a road movie. It's it's like something that's not like a, it's not like a bottle movie where you're just in like a room or something. It's like you're going to locations and stuff. So, yeah. Great. Oh yeah. So uh, how how do you feel like this experience has uh, has has I guess changed you, or is it going to influence your career going forward? Um, it because I'm a writer, uh, so it was very useful in learning what's possible. So and also like what takes really long in terms of storytelling and what you can shoot quickly and and you know if you if you're in a position that you want to shoot something in 2 weeks let's say you have only have 2 weeks to shoot something like a lot of times people would think that could really limit you but this taught me that wow you you can actually do so much 
you can shoot a whole movie. Um, so yeah, so it was really great, really great experience. Well, that's great, and that those, uh, like I, I was telling them before, uh, like that's that's kind of the quintessential like indie movie like success story that I that I can see, and it's like it's it's inspirational, and I'm I hope that you know people listening that are aspiring filmmakers will want to kind of just go for it. So yeah, well that's great, and uh, yeah, and. Yeah, is there anything any, any anything else coming up or anything? You should talk to this guy is what you should do. Perfect. Yeah, he's one of the actors in the film. Perfect. All right. Well, I will do that. Thank you so much, and uh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, sir. Hello. All right, my name is Matt from the Obsessive Viewer. I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. good. Really nice to be here. Nice. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself and telling me about your role in the film? Yeah, my name is Casey Wolf. I play the role of Punk Kid. Oh, nice punk kid nice punk kid. <laughs> sweet that's a real thing Vanessa asked me I was in class with Vanessa who plays Tracy in the film um, and she asked me to be a part of this and said I have a role that's perfect for you and sent it over and you can imagine how I felt when it was hey this role's perfect for you and I get it and it's punk kid Pretty nice. Awesome. Pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, how's your experience been, like, on the festival circuit with the film and then being at Heartland with it? Um, my experience on the festival circuit is this is my first one. Oh, nice. This is my first one, and I'm very excited to be here. Everyone's so lovely and interesting and really kind, and um, it's it's great to be here. Perfect. Well, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, and uh, how did you prepare for the role of Punk Kid? Um, well, I've, uh, I've been in class for a few years and um, just kind of pulling inspiration and kind of figuring out, like, what drives this punk kid. Like, why is this guy even in the story? But, you know, kind of figuring out his whole life and what he means and, like, even though he's a punk kid, like, where does that come from? And, like, finding that drive and maybe he's, instead of looking at him as a punk kid, like, maybe I look at him as, like, a... Um, you know, a, a guy that's, you know, maybe a little bit misunderstood, you know? Nice. Well, that's great. And how was your experience actually uh, filming the role? And I know that it was a, it was a tight two weeks, a very tight-knit uh, crew and everything. Uh, how, what was the experience like filming it? The experience was great. You know, Nathan is an incredible director. Um, uh, Vanessa was super fantastic. Everybody was very um, warm and welcoming when I got there, and it was like a super small crew, so everyone was kind of doing everything. And it was like I thought I heard you say earlier, it was like kind of like done rogue style, which was like it, you know, growing up and like watching like the '90s indie films. It's like that's what it felt like. It was like the chemistry and the magic of everyone kind of like doing this like on their own, and like being a part of that was just fantastic that's fantastic and that's again that's kind of just inspirational for for people that are like wanting to dive into that kind of thing so it's really great and uh yeah congratulations on on the film and uh and yeah i hope you have a great rest of the festival and uh yeah do you have a social media presence or anything i do my name uh, my i'm i'm mostly present on instagram that's at k period c period wolf w-o-l-f Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, best of luck going forward. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. I can't wait to see it. 
Hi, I'm Matt from the Obsessive Viewer Podcast, and you're Sten Bowen from A Thousand Miles Behind? That's right. Perfect. Hi. And uh, you were the composer for the film. Uh, can you tell me about your process for composing a score for a film that is steeped in like such serious thematic elements like grief and everything? Yeah, that was difficult to get into that mindset. Um, but I worked on the film itself, and I got the, so I was with the crew, and I kind of knew what was going on. But then Nathan would send me the footage, and I would watch the footage, and I would actually, a lot of it, I just, at first I started to notate these big scores, and it was too complicated. And what ended up happening a lot is I would just press play, watch the film, and what Nathan ended up liking the most is when I just kind of wrote it on the spot. Just simple, sparse, and tender. Like, the the character is so fragile, and if the music was too imposing, it would just... I've had a weird juxtaposition in the film. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely uh, say that when when you have a, an emotionally charged film like that, the music can can really be, <laughs> pardon the pun, instrumental in bringing out that emotion in the audience. So, or did you have like any uh, any like takes that you that you wanted to to do but didn't quite fit, or is there anything like uh, that you left out? I mean, I I want to. I want to, you know, score everything. So as a as a composer, it's hard to give so much space, and the film has a lot of space. So, you know, I there's a lot of things that I thought, even in like viewing it today, there's some scenes that I, you know, I would have loved, but that would have been the music story, and you have to consider what the whole film is trying to say, and you have to you have to be cognizant of that. Nice. Uh, that's that's a really great answer. Um, and do you have any like social media presence or anything like that? I should have asked that at the start. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, if you on Sten Bowen on Spotify or Amazon or iTunes or Bandcamp or whatever. But, yeah. Perfect. And uh, do you? I don't. Well, I don't know. With with like independent films like that, do, do the scores like become like available? Is there any way that we can listen to the score separate from the film? I think this. We're gonna wait and have it all come out on the movie website, so the, it'll be available through the the movie site. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, and congrats on the film, and uh, best of luck going forward. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. No problem. Okay, and we are back from the uh, red carpet interviews, or we're back from a couple minutes ago before you guys skipped ahead to the review. Um, So, Tiny, um, what... (laughs) I'm going to kind of throw you, not throw you under the bus, but uh, what attracted you to seeing the Samuel Project? Uh, it just sounded like a really great story to me. Um, I, I didn't know a lot about it. All right, I, didn't, I tried to go in a little bit you know, blind, not having all the mm-hmm. information. They have a very good Facebook page like with clips from the movie on it and stuff like that if you look up nice. the Samuel Project. Um, and so I looked at a couple clips and I was like, I'm going to stop right here because I'm like really drawn in by this story and I don't want to spoil it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Take it too far, I guess. So sure. Um, so it just it just sounds like a really good story. You know, a lot of history involved in it, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, art, uh, art like you know, art artist, a growing yeah. artist, coming of age artist, trying to hone his craft. Sounded like a great story, so I was in. Nice, and as you know, because as as we said before, it's we're kind of limited with our time with Heartland and everything. Um, again, I'm super glad that you and I were able to catch a movie together for Heartland and record this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think of all the films we could have seen at Heartland this year, I'm really excited that we saw this and we're reviewing this 
Um, specifically because I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on it because I know that you are really into history and mm-hmm. and especially like uh, the history as depicted in this in this movie um, or reference in this movie is something that you know having having visited like Poland and, and like like Europe your, yourself mm-hmm. like it has it has a certain resonance to you definitely um, with your ancestry and everything. Um, yeah, but we should probably talk about the movie, um, yeah, totally. like, and what it's about. Um, real quick, before I get into the plot description and everything, uh, you can check out my interview with uh, the filmmakers and co-stars uh, Ryan Ochoa and uh, Hal <laughs> Linden. Who Hal Linden? Uh, he plays Samuel in the film. He actually was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award by Heartland this year. Oh, sweet! Um, that I didn't. <laughs> I didn't realize was happening until after I interviewed them. So I kind of wish I could have been like, Hey, congratulations. But I didn't, didn't get a chance to, but anyway, my interview with them is at, uh, is an, uh, OV two fifty two at the 58 minute, 10 second mark of the episode. So, um, the plot description, according to IMDb for the Samuel project is Eli an outcast teen connects with his isolated grandfather, Samuel for the first time and uncovers his surprising past when he makes his grandpa the subject of an animated art project for school. So tiny in broad terms, what did you think of uh, the Samuel project? And uh, yeah, how'd you feel about the film overall? I did full disclosure. I did get a peek at your audience uh, ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, So I do know, how you felt about it, but go ahead and expand <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they give you this little ballot that like it's a little piece of paper. You actually tear it to give it, uh, to give it your rating. Cause not everybody has a pen on them. I think it's a really right. clever idea that they oh, do. Absolutely. They do that at Heartland every year. It's a good mm-hmm. idea. So I give it a five out of five. If that's, nice. if that's broad enough term for you, I really, yeah. really loved this movie. I, mm. I, I'm glad I didn't look any more into how, what this was or like, like, find a true trailer or anything like that i just kind of read a description and saw a clip and i was like i want to see this movie Mm -hmm. so i am glad i didn't i didn't seek any more information out on it um but it's it's really good it's i it's hard it's it strikes such a good balance of drama and comedy i don't want to use the word the term dramedy right but um it's 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 just it's just dramatic enough and just comedic enough it's it was a great balance and uh the the story is just just a phenomenal story it's mm-hmm. it's so many elements coming together all at the same time uh and and it was just really really well put together i i totally agree and uh i also gave it a 5 on the audience nice. uh, card um just really i was really engrossed with the film just because it like you said it has a great balance and like it balances so many things like the comedy aspect, the drama, like they didn't, it's just a really well drawn film because there are parts where like, what, like you'll laugh out loud, but it's not like in a, it's in a respectful manner. Like it it knows when to go for a laugh versus when to go for a, uh, dramatic moment and dramatic, uh, uh, reveal of, of character. And, uh, it doesn't do that in any, like the drama aspect of it in the kind of heart of the film is not melodramatic or overdone or anything. It's Mm -hmm. like the perfect kind of blend of, of drama for, for the story being told. I had the exact same reaction. I'm glad you said Mm -hmm. that because I, it's not a spoiler, but like one of the victim, one of the 
characters as a victim of the Holocaust mm-hmm. in a way. And, you know, obviously that is hugely tragic and, and sad and everything. Um, but the way that it's incorporated into the story, it's not like... It's not like Schindler's List where right. they're trying to they're trying to squeeze the tears out of you and just mm-hmm. absolutely wreck you emotionally, which that yeah. you know that has its place and that's mm-hmm. an attractive way to tell a story. I'm not saying it's not, but right. this just told the story its own way. That's not what the filmmaker was going for. Right? He's not trying to shine a light on that or like trying to trying to really drag you down. He's just trying. It was just very real. Mm-hmm. Just a very very real depiction of the story. It wasn't overly dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just dramatic enough, and and I thought that was a great choice. Absolutely, and it's funny. Um, you mentioned Schindler's List. Um, uh, Mark uh, Fusco, who was the uh, director and co-writer, um, I believe I interviewed him bef- uh, in the, in that aforementioned uh, clip. But it's funny because I was just going through his IMDb uh, credits, and he has a uh, Apparently in the in the nineties or ninety seven and ninety eight, he has three credits as a personal assistant to Mr. Spielberg oh. for the Lost World, Jurassic Park, Amistad, and Saving Private Ryan. Interesting, uh, which is interesting because there's a Saving Private Ryan reference in the film. Yeah, um, but yeah, and and another thing that really struck me about the movie is it's I mean it's it's freaking gorgeous. It's uh, yeah. the film takes place in San Diego. And first of all, just the locations they shot at and the way that they photographed San Diego is just kind of awestru- uh, um, awesome in, in the literal sense of the term. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it's beautifully showcases San Diego. And, uh, and then there's inclusion of animation. Like, like we said that the, the titular project is an animation project that the character of Eli is doing for a school assignment. Um, and in addition to the animation, which is just, again, very striking, vis- very visually striking. Yes. Um, there are kind of interludes, not not really interludes, but kind of transitions. Transitions, yeah. Yeah, that incorporate um, animation into it. And it's like, that's something that can be kind of, I wouldn't say hokey, but it can it runs the risk of being a little uh, showy, mm, but yeah. the way, like it was just subtly incorporated, like the perfect amount um, mm. throughout the film that it didn't come across that way. It was actually just vi- very visually striking and mm-hmm. like a kind of, it's like a chemical was released in my brain every time I saw <laughs> that. Cause it's like, it's very beautiful animation Yeah, and it was just like, Oh, I got like uh what what is it like a dopamine increase in my brain whenever i saw it it was really cool yeah subtle is a great word like Mm -hmm. it's it's charm the whole movie was charmingly subtle Mm -hmm. nothing was overdone there was no overacting Mm -hmm. there was nothing that was overwritten or overproduced or too much of this too much of that it was just the right amount of everything very a very subtle film and i mean that that can have negative connotations i don't mean it that way i mean that as a compliment just Mm -hmm. you know you don't need to overdo everything. You don't, nothing, not everything has to be 100 miles an hour. And, and right. this movie took its time in the appropriate way. I, I liked. The, I appreciated the subtlety of it quite a bit. Absolutely. And the performances from Hal Linden and uh, uh, Ryan Ochoa, mm-hmm. um, really, really incredible, I thought. Um, especially Hal Linden. Um, yeah. I think he just really gave just a very powerful performance as his character is kind of going through um 
telling his story to his grandson um, kind of reluctantly at first. And then as the bond between him and Eli grows, like there's just, there's so much to his performance that I just really uh, latched onto and how his, I wouldn't say his guard comes down, but like he, he takes down those kind of barriers that, that, uh, that opens him up to, to telling his story and, and being a, a more, uh, a more integral and uh, important part of his family's life. It's just, it's, it's a really great, powerful performance in my opinion. I agree. I thought it was, yeah, very, very good. And I think one of the best parts is the way he, you know, obviously there's a, it's very um, uh, satisfying to see a grandfather finally connect with his grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the obvious thing. But um, I think the way that it happened was really, was was really organic because mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot of hesitation between both char- both characters oh, yeah. early on. You know, you think typically you'd have like a desperate grandfather, like, oh, I've never connected with my grandson, right. and he's like desperate for his attention or his yeah. whatever. And that wasn't it at all. I think it was like it was a struggle. Like he's he's a stubborn old man, you mm-hmm. know, and and he's kind of a, the uh, Eli's kind of a stubborn young man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it was almost by happenstance that they they were able to connect and become closer as as characters and that was such a great again a great choice great oh, great storytelling choice to to really draw you in oh yeah and it informs kind of the multi-generational story of the of the yeah. whole family like because uh, it kind of reflects a lot on there, there's there are scenes where they talk about Eli's relationship with his father and Samuel's relationship with with Eli's father mm-hmm. and how it kind of there's there's a great scene where Samuel says to um, Eli something to the effect of, or they're talking about um, Eli's father, and he, Eli's like, "Well, I don't think he really notices anything, or I don't really talk to him." And then he's like, "That Samuel's like, that's funny because I that's the same way that I like I raised him, or, or or like that's how I it was when I was raising him and stuff." So it's like this cross generational kind of thing where it's a lack of communication within the family mm-hmm. that is kind of uh the central uh i wouldn't i central i guess conflict but it, it's more deep-seated than that it's not like it's not like oh dad why why aren't you paying attention to me it's more again we, we're coming back to this word a lot it's a more subtle approach to it yes and a more subtle and introspective drama than than it is like outward conflict and I, that's something i really appreciated as a storytelling uh device for the film absolutely yeah and it's also i think it's fascinating that um maybe this is just a personal thing but i'm Mm -hmm. so interested in my family's history and like Mm -hmm. how how i'm ethnically composed i guess like what my heritage is and stuff like that and it's it's kind of fascinating that a young a young ethnically jewish kid maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't go to synagogue you know all all that stuff doesn't doesn't do that but he's it's still part of who he is that he's ethnically jewish and he doesn't not that he doesn't know what the holocaust is but he doesn't know a lot about it and he right. you know his grandfather is a victim of it and it's mm-hmm. like he should he should know that and it should be he should identify with it or he should it should be part of who he is and something he mm-hmm. understands and he should want to know more about it mm-hmm. and it's funny that it took to the age of 17 in this random class project for him right. to kind of come to that conclusion and, and get to it and I was I was just surprised at that because mm-hmm. even when I was a teenager I would have you know I wanted to know that kind of stuff and 
Totally. Again, a good choice. (laughs) And I think that that speaks to some of the kind of themes of the film or or the undercurrent of the film of being like this generation being Mm, super kind of kind of self-involved and like right. very uh like there's a scene where, where the butcher comes in with with uh comes into the uh dry cleaner and mentions that he says something about iphones and everything right uh about his son being too preoccupied with his phone mm-hmm. um and that's something that uh, we talked about in my interview with them um in ov252 but it's something that was present in the film that i thought uh was handled really well and kind of speaks to Eli's reluctance and ignorance of of his family story, um, right? And it's also important because his father didn't know the story either. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I like the way that it kind of slowly unfurls it. Like it, like it, 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 the relationship between Samuel and Eli is is a slow burn as they as they grow closer to each other, um, and then also the story that he's telling and the story that he's telling for the project um is a slow burn as well it's it's introduced because uh just by happenstance he samuel opens a piece of mail and they go to um the house of of someone integral to his story um but we don't know the full extent of it and then later we we learn a lot more and it's it's riveting and just the use of animation is just so beautiful it really is yeah there's a lot of good establishing shots too mm-hmm. um those transitions are usually of an establishing shot oh yeah and uh it's it's just good cinematography it really is um, oh, especially yeah. for just you know such a dramatic mm-hmm. straightforward story you wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily uh notice that or expect that um right and it, like just something as simple as when they stop for a burger, they're at a picnic table, like on a beach. Kind yeah. Of. And it's just like a, I don't know. Like I noticed the setting. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, I don't necessarily need to notice the setting, but they, they chose to have it, you know, something a little bit unique or like mm-hmm. that's, that's a challenging place to film. You got the ocean oh, yeah. noise and all that crap. And they just chose it cause it looks, it looks good. And it's a nice place for a grandson mm-hmm. and a grandfather to start bonding yeah in, in a way um it's funny you reference that scene because i had almost like an identical thought to that uh just thinking that like I, I was just like kind of in awe of it like wow that's just it's really beautiful setup and everything and i i was thinking like like also <laughs> i'm always thinking about this anytime characters are eating in a film because i always think of like like continuity like I, I don't nitpick continuity or anything i didn't notice any continuity errors in that scene mm-hmm. or anything but um but like anytime a character is eating i'm like oh god like that it kind of stresses me out because i put myself in the position of someone like on the film like thinking like okay like how many takes do they have to have where they have like a piece of burger in their mouth and yeah everything but anyway um like when i was thinking that i was just like this would have been such an easier scene to just do like in like at the dry cleaner and, mm, yeah. and like kind of just be kind of on the, on uh, a, a much smaller scale, but like they, they went for it with the, with the, I imagine noisy setting and mm-hmm. uh, with, with props of the food and everything. It's just a really well handled scene. And yeah, it kind of, yeah. it kind of made me think of the scene on the park bench in uh, uh, Goodwill hunting. Oh yeah. Obviously not not extreme drama like that or right. you know there's not the conflict there but just the I don't know the way the camera was working and stuff like that it kind of mm-hmm. made me think of that a little bit. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and and I did want to mention also that in addition to the kind of familial drama 
and discovery of, in the film, um, there is an undercurrent about um, Eli wanting, like, wanting to achieve his dreams. And and I say that, and that sounds like it's kind of hokey, but and it's not at all. Like in the film, it's very like they establish like the kind of drive that Eli has to complete this project because it's his it's a it's an opportunity for him to express his art and and get his art showcased and everything and then on the other hand of that is uh Eli's friend um I, I, I forgot his name. yeah <laughs> yeah uh Kasim yeah. yeah played by Matteo Arias um he's he's got a similar kind of thing where he's he's kind of withholding his or uh, hiding his his art um, because his father wants to or art being music in in Kasim's case um, his music talents and and drive and ambition because his father wants him to be you know in like working in his butcher butcher shop um, and I I like that connection between Kasim and Eli as well because they both have kind of similar stakes um, although it's it's Eli's story um, I like that they had that connection there how'd you how'd you feel about that aspect of the story absolutely i i think it was a fun contrast um i think kasim was kind of the um you know he, he's he's the goofy the goofy friend mm-hmm. you know to to an extent he sort of he sort of played that stereotype yeah um but really satisfying comedic relief mm-hmm. um and then i think Towards the end, there's a bit of a payoff where he's he, his character is very non-committal throughout the throughout yeah. the movie. He doesn't really want to be there. He'd rather be in metalworking or whatever. Right. Um, so it's it's funny, but it's the the payoff in the end is that he I think he kind of understands how important this project was mm-hmm. and like how how his his uh, uh, desire to be an artist to be mm-hmm. a, a musician can have real world applications and can still, mm-hmm. it can satisfy, it can scratch that itch of him being a musician right. and still be, you know, a, a way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, the, and that was just really satisfying. Oh, absolutely. In the, the kind of comic relief of, of the, after the payoff of that, um, I won't give anything away, but like there's a scene that he's at, like, I, I was, I was really, I really enjoyed kind of his final scene i think in the movie mm-hmm. um i'll leave it at that yeah um but there is another really really great scene that i just want to um kind of highlight ryan ochoa's um performance in it. it's where he and kasim are, are working on the project and then uh first of all that scene is just beautiful because uh, like as someone who Granted, I we just do podcasts and stuff, <laughs> but like seeing like two people like working together on a creative project, and kind of that that look of realization on uh, Eli's face when he like when he sees uh, Kasim like doing like performing the music for for the project, um, it's just like this really like you can see like the connection of like uh, collaboration in that in that small scene and i just i appreciated that as someone who you know collaborates on stuff yeah you can see the um, gears turning really exactly and said, yeah I, I picked up on it as well yeah and then the the kind of, probably my favorite scene of one of my favorite scenes because the movie was great um one of my favorite scenes is when he asks kasim what he thinks of it and i won't give away what he says but the reaction that Eli has is hysterical and, mm-hmm. 
and it's so like it's emotionally resonant in a in a big way if you do anything that you <laughs> anything creative that you put yourself out there with yes like, absolutely it was such a great a great scene yeah um yeah uh, it, uh the music in the film mm-hmm. um i got some you know i'm going to actually bring up who who did the music in it um because i got such a like uh, oh, at parts i had a uh i got a vibe of uh explosions in the sky a little bit okay um who they're responsible for some of the best music um in movies that i've ever heard but uh but the music in the samuel project was uh distinctive from that i'm not saying that like oh it sounds like they cribbed from that they they didn't at all uh the the music was done by joey newman okay um and like the music it like it has like that kind of feel to it that energy of like an explosions in the sky uh kind of kind of song or music but it it's more distinctive from them uh because there's a lot of uh, uh, kind of upbeat kind of rhythms and everything throughout it as, as well. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to highlight the music. It was, it was really good. Nice. You know, it didn't really stand out to me that much. I'm, oh, really? I'm not sure why, uh, not to, not to take away from it, but sure. I can't, uh, yeah, I don't know for whatever reason I didn't take that in as much. Okay, sure. Um, kind of one of the final things I want to, uh, highlight was there was a sequence like this, this movie does, Again, such a great job of sharing the screen, like like uh, allocating things. Uh, in in uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, oh, there's 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 a turn of phrase that I want to use, but I can't think of it. Um, hmm. It does. It, it has a very economic kind of uh, use of the visual medium of film. Like hmm. it, there's a scene. Where we are hearing the uh, we're hearing Samuel's voiceover telling part of the story as Eli is working on the animation for the project as uh, Samuel is at at home reflecting on on you know his story and the way that all of that blends together like it's a it's a sequence where we've got the voiceover with the, with the score playing and we've got uh peeks at Eli's animation and Eli working very dil- diligently at the animation and everything while we also have just this um I wouldn't say melancholy but this this kind of reflective and introspective shot of of Samuel just thinking about it and all of that is just a a great like sequence of just blending all that together and just it's it was something that just really struck me from uh as a as a filmmaking and storytelling technique in the film i just really appreciated that that sequence did that nice that it did yeah it was like it was like a, um an anti-rocky montage <laughs> it really was you know? yeah because yeah, those were a bit overplayed not yeah. not that they don't have their place but, right. but yeah it, it was like a fun kind of montage and it mm-hmm. was um but at the same time it's it had like a lot of heart like yeah. like you're saying you know it, it was it was emotionally resonant mm-hmm. um and it it was a significant moment in the film. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely picked up on that. I, I was going to bring it up myself. Nice. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely liked it. You know, it's, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's a great piece of development as well. Cause I think all the characters are starting to come to realizations during that, Absolutely. during that moment, you know, like he's, I, th- I think Eli is coming to the realization that 
he wants to know more about his family. He's mm-hmm. he's solidifying his decision to be an, an artist because he's mm-hmm. good at it and he has an ability right. to do it. You know, um, and then you know Samuel is or uh, yeah Samuel is realizing that he needs to open up more. Right, I think, and he he has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it, it was a very resonant uh, moment in the film. Yeah, and I would even go so far as to say it's kind of the it's a great like. Uh, it's a great representation of, of what the film is and what the film is and what the film's strengths are because it like like I said um, it blends together so much and it it's kind of this um, I don't want to say cacophony because that that has some negative connotations to it but like it's this kind of uh, just this blend of everything that that's like you said it's the anti-rocky montage <laughs> it's it's a montage that's kind of just showing showcasing where each of the characters are in this very beautiful artistic way and then you even get like a, a shot of uh eli's father kind of kind of realizing like oh this could be something like mm, seriously and right. again it's subtle it's just it's so straightforward and or uh subtle and straightforward <laughs> Um, in a way that's just beautifully represent representative 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 yeah. representative of the film as a whole and, and what the strengths of the film are as a whole. Yeah, and the word montage is almost like a disservice. It's more yeah. of like a, like a mosaic. Yeah. Oh, of, absolutely. Of the, like the themes and the uh, influences of the film. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else that we can talk about? I think that covers it pretty well. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Um, the Samuel Project, oh, this is probably going to go up, yeah, this is going to go up after the festival, but, um, you can find the Samuel Project at, oh, Heartland Film, like their tweet. Check out their Facebook page, genuinely. There's, there's like clips of the movie there and that's, that's what drew me in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. It's playing at a ton of places. They have a bunch of dates. Oh yeah. Uh, It's playing at a bunch of different film festivals around the country. Nice. There were a bunch of, uh, a bunch of locations. That's fantastic. That it's and, showing, so it's you could probably find it near you. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the Samuel Project movie on Facebook. Um, yeah, uh, just you know, check that out. It's also the Samuel Project Movie dot com. And uh, yeah, super excited. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Okay, um, that was a pinned tweet. All right, so great. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Tiny? Any other movies that you're gonna try to check out? Um, I think I want to do Radium Girls. I want to see that mm-hmm. one. That looks that looks pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm gonna have to look through the through the brochure and pick another mm-hmm. one or two out to see. Yeah, nice. All right, great. Well, we that'll do it for this episode of uh, the Obsessive Viewer. Uh, thank you once again to Tony Troxel for loaning us the equipment, and also to Heartland for uh, giving us the press passes and and letting us uh, uh, <laughs> invade your film festival. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you can find more of our coverage of the Harland Film Festival at uh, the show notes of this episode, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to have this. I think I'm going to make a separate page just for like uh, coverage like this. But anyway, okay. in the meantime, check us out at obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, all of our podcasts are located there. There's Obsessive Viewer Podcast, which you're listening to right now, Anthology Solo Side Project Podcast covering the uh, Twilight Zone, and also Tower Junkies covering Stephen King and everything that he does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. 
You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlight from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlightmusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast, where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at anthologypod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.